It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Hey, Torin. How are you? Uh, pretty wonderful. How about you? I think I'm pretty good. I'm not sure exactly what life has in store for us for the remaining several months of 2019, but it has absolutely flown by, but it's been beautiful. Yeah. Can you believe we've been doing this for almost a year together? Almost a year. And I was hesitant. Those of you who are out there listening, I was the one who had a bit of reservation, not because I didn't believe in my pod partner, but I was questioning whether or not I could be consistent and continue to deliver, uh, you know, information, content, cadence, rhythm, tempo, you know, all of that good stuff uh, from week to week. And and we've done an, an incredible job and I owe it all to you and to to chat. No, it's it's a joint effort, and I was worried I wouldn't have anything to talk about for a whole year. So obviously that hasn't been a problem. <laughs> that has not been a problem. The news has continued to give us story after. You know what, Julie? That actually, uh, we may make a footnote of that. That may that may be how we end the year. We kind of go back and we cut up some of the uh, great stories that we may have covered, some of the disappointments, and maybe revisit Ooh. some of those things. So that's a thought for us. Yes. Uh, as oh. we look at Q4. I like it. Let, let's do it. Cool. So what so, are we doing today? So today I'm super excited. At Transform, um, Smash Plays Transform, we got to interview a lot of, of really great people and and heard them on the pod, James Ellis, Tim Sackett, and, and that was so fun. But one person that I did not get to record with before we had to run off was Alyn Bailey, and she has kindly agreed to join us today while she's on sabbatical. sabbatical. So she's completely sober, which I don't understand, but she is on vacation and yeah. completely sober. Yeah, yeah. And so Alyn is the Talent Acquisition Transformation Manager at Intel. She had one of my very favorite presentations at Transform. So welcome to Crazy and the King. Welcome, Elaine. Great. Thank you. I'm actually very excited to be here. Absolutely. And I read somewhere where you actually like the title of our podcast. You think it's pretty cool. I do. I have to say, I, I think I went before I was even sure exactly what the podcast was. I started listening. I like immediately clicked on it. Best name ever. Well, good, good stuff. And that's a great way for us to start, because when we talk about best names ever, talent acquisition transformation manager, what does that mean? Yeah, well, different things every day. Um, so, uh, you know, when I started this um, gig, it was about oh, five years ago or so, and it was a focus on candidate experience. And so my title was um, around candidate experience design. I'm an experienced designer, which is how I got into the space. And um, uh, as we started to work in the space pretty quickly, we realized that uh, the, the candidate experience isn't something that you can alter and shift um, in isolation. 
um, you know, all the players who are involved in the interaction or relationship to be um, thought of and considered as you start to build a holistic experience. So that meant thinking about hiring managers and recruiters and sourcers and recruitment marketers and how do they all play in the candidate space, which led us to realize that what we really needed to do was transform the way we approach talent acquisition. And so um, after pitching that um, for a while, um, they said, great, that sounds good. Why don't you do that? So that's how I ended up being the transformation manager. Love that. So have you ever met another transformation manager? Well, so, you know, interesting story. I had not um, for a very long time. I felt like we were um, kind of uh, alone in this space for a while. And, and there were a lot of people starting to talk about experience design. And there were a lot of people who were starting to talk about candidate experience. Um, but it really, um, over the course of the last year, maybe year and a half, um, I've met several people um, who have either partially or in total a role around transforming their talent acquisition organization. And it has lots of different lenses to it. It can be uh, around the introduction of um, AI into their frameworks and trying to understand the digital transformation that they're working through. Um, some people are really starting to put the lens around what it means to um, have a different set of processes and some around kind of the role space. And we've kind of looked at it from all three of those. But there are more and more people out there who, who have the title and who are looking in this space, all looking at it slightly differently. But I think the slightly differently is actually interesting because one of the things that I've always enjoyed about Intel, in addition to their commitment as of late to diversity and Inclusion. And by all means, uh, Julie and I don't say that because we need to target the conversation to that. So even though that's the foundation of, of our pod, I still enjoy the fact that, you know, Intel has a had a commitment as of late to towards DNI, uh, but B, even longer, they've had an incredible rotation program. That's always been something I've looked at Intel as a model for. They really support individuals that want to grow through the organization, giving them an opportunity to test different business units and departments. And so I'm wondering, Aline, is that still something that exists? I haven't spoken really with anyone from Intel for, uh, you know, two, three, four years. So is that still a, a practice that's in place? Yeah, it, it absolutely is. Um, you know, here's here's what I'll say. I'm going to, I mean, I will, I will lay it down honestly and say that I think that it's dependent upon your job, um, the type of role that you come into and the, and which business group you start out with, how you get to evolve throughout the organization. But I use myself as a, as a classic example. Been with Intel, we were counting it up somewhere close to 17 years, but I've actually come and left Intel as a third time back. Um, I came in starting in the marketing department uh, as a corporate trainer. I've worked in the user experience space, worked in the experience design space. I, I didn't come into this as, a, as an HR professional, right? I kind of had the opportunity to see lots of different roles throughout my time at, at Intel. That was something that was encouraged, right, uh, to be able to do that. And I think many people have those opportunities. One of my um, colleagues, um, my partner who I work with um, quite a bit, Tyler Weeks, actually is right now our data analyst in um, the talent acquisition space. Brilliant. Um, but he actually is a, um, a, a physicist, right? And he comes from an engineering background and that's where he was, he started out at. And so people come and move and shift um, frequently and have different opportunities, which has been part of the plus of working with Intel. If you are excited about finding a job that works for you and in an environment and a team that works for you, there's opportunity to do that. And and that's, I mean, that's pretty amazing because most companies you, you get siloed and you don't have that opportunity. A lot of companies aren't capable, I may, may be too strong of a word, but they don't recognize value outside of the 10 things that you're supposed to accomplish every day. And- mm -hmm. I think that 
you know, when we're talking about like leadership development and those kind of things, the things that you're talking about in terms of tenacity and and ingenuity and all those things, they don't necessarily make great leaders, but they make great employees in other areas like that allow you to grow without just growing up and you can grow around. And, and you can find the right, you know, I, I often talk about it. And when you think about it from a um, what it's like to work in Intel, which is a lot of what I spend my time kind of helping our organization be able to articulate to others. It's a challenge to articulate it clearly sometimes because it's a micro, there are lots of small micro cultures inside a larger culture. Right. So not only can you find the right um, role and job and opportunity and be able to flex yourselves in lots of different spaces, you also have the opportunity to really figure out where's the right niche and fit for you. Right. There are some teams are, um, you know, very structured and process oriented. Some teams are um, much more agile and um, uh, are much more focused on um, kind of design thinking sorts of sorts of work. And, and there's lots of things in between that. And it all depends on the type of work, uh, what's looking to be accomplished, and then kind of the culture that starts to emerge within that organization. I, to me, that's been a plus because I've always been able to find a place where I can feel comfortable and a team that I want to work with. And um, really great people to engage with and to build a connection with, which makes the work better. You know, you you say something that that I always um, I like to push back on and I take issue with, and it's not how you said it, Alin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people often say that you need to set the culture in the beginning, or uh, that you 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 need to shape the culture, if you will. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like you know, just when you just said a bunch of micro or mini cultures inside of a larger culture. So I have two questions for you. Number one, how do you define culture? And there's no right or wrong answer. Mm-hmm. You know, no argument. But how does Alin define culture? Uh, because I simply define, uh, you know, li- listen, let's just treat people with respect. I don't see that as being culture. I see that as being human. Right. And so I- I'm curious to see how you define culture. And then secondly, do you feel like it's an organic, um, an evergreen thing or do you feel like it's something that can be set? That's a great question. Um, so I'm going to start by saying I agree with you. I don't think the basic tenets of treating other people with um, respect and common decency and having um, treating each other like human beings, uniqueness amongst ourselves and being able to figure out how to to, to work with each other um, in a in a way that makes sense together. I think that that's that's not necessarily the culture, right? That's about that's about just people being really good at working with people. Mm-hmm. Right? I think culture, from my perspective, is about the the norm terms of the working environment, particularly when I think about work culture, right? How do decisions get made? Um, how do we think about hierarchy within a particular organization? Is the organization a fast moving or a slow moving organization? Mm-hmm. How do we um, think about um, the customer, right? Is this a, you know, sometimes there are particular types of product groups or particular types of spaces where it may make sense that it's a very introspective sort of a team or an organization that isn't necessarily looking um, to their customers and trying to understand customer dynamics in order to influence their decisions. They're purposely innovating inside, right? That's a different culture than what I'm necessarily comfortable with. Mm-hmm. I am a, um, I, I'm very intrigued by what makes people tick, understanding how we can um, 
connect with others and how we can use that information to, to get better at what we're doing. Um, so I find myself drawn towards teams within the larger organization that are much more focused on gathering user insight, connecting um, user feedback to design solutions and decisions that are much more collaborative in nature. So from a work culture perspective, you can end up with what teams that are very collaborative and dynamic in that way. You can also end up with teams that are very hierarchical and have much more um, strict decision-making criteria, right? And frameworks that they work off of. I, I think both have their place, but I also think they can be very different and, and, and people are going to find their comfort space and, and be be more, not only more comfortable, but produce um, better work um, and have a better outcome at the end of the day when they find their right niche and what works for them in that space. You know, Julie and I have an incredible culture. We have a screenshot text-based culture. Like we communicate, <laughs> we communicate with screenshots and pictures and, you know, we move back. I mean, we get a lot of stuff done via text message yeah. and screenshots and emojis. That's my partner over there. I like <laughs> We got good culture. I'm not a phone talker, even though I spend eight hours a day on the phone, I swear. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that that conversation, I think, is so interesting because I was listening to um, the talent cast with James Ellis, who's been on with us before, and he was talking about patterns versus constants in one of his episodes. And mm-hmm. I just heard you say, and I, I want to kind of transition it out into what you do with your your infinity loop, you'll have to tell the audience about. You really do have what you just described are very different cultures, which really translate out to your employer brand. And while all of those micro cultures are different, then I assume that kind of what you're looking for when you're talking about your employer brand is very much related to the consistent patterns that are in each one of those teams or the kind of core values to the way you work at Intel. Yep. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, no, that's absolutely fair. That's absolutely fair. That's exactly the way I would think about it. If you think about it, um, it kind of is a hierarchy of, in the way in which you talk about the organization, the way in which we look at for people who are um, both a good fit and who also will bring something unique to the organization. There's a set of cultural tenets, kind of what we prescribe as what it is to be one Intel, right? And, and to operate against that framework. That's the culture of the organization, the kind of the overarching cultural tenets of the organization. And then you have the nuances that are unique to the types of work that people may be doing. And that, and then, then there's another layer to that, which is also makes employer branding even more complicated. There's also then nuance around culture. And, and when I talk about culture now, I'm talking about um, geographies and uh, both the, you know, populations that have different frameworks in which they want to operate together can be very, very different. The way in which I talk about what, what it's like to work in Dalian in China um, is very different than what it's like to work in Munich in Germany. Um, and that has as much to do with um, the different types of business groups that operate there and the different types of teams that operate there, as much as it also has to do with the different dynamics of um, the, the kind of external culture that, that they that they operate with it, right? And what does that look like? So when you kind of went, you started, I remember you sort of maybe like three or four years ago, you kind of got this blessing to say, hey, let's just kind of blow up and start over how we do talent acquisition at Intel. And so tell us a little bit about, especially re- related to the, some of the things that you just mentioned about the different cultures and, and that 
to me is internal to the U.S. as well, regionally and and women and, mm-hmm. and people of mm-hmm. color, people with disabilities, veterans. How how did you kind of get really micro and then pull that out into something that could be macro, that could be a strategy and, and a and a pipeline, but still appreciates but engages with cultures and people differently based on where they are or who they are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, so with everything I just said, I'm now going to take it back down a little bit and say, and it's actually not all that different, right? And, and here's what we here's what we did. When we started the process, we, we looked at it and said, okay, we believe fundamentally that um, in order for us to understand um, how to both attract and engage um, and pull in the talent that we're looking for, we need to understand what makes them tick and what they're interested in and what really drives their decision-making process. How do they operate? And so we did a a lot of research. We went out and we talked to hundreds of people uh, globally um, from all sorts of different types of populations. And we talked to, um, and we looked at our quantitative data that we get out of the, the candy board and kind of the survey data that we get there and looked at that data. And we analyzed and we built some hypothesis and we tested those and looked at them. And here's basically what we found out. Even though there are microcosms of culture, even though there are nuances to how um, teams or groups, whether small or large, may operate together once they're in and kind of a, a, a body working together. The fundamentals of what people are looking for in terms of how they want to be um, approached, um, what types of information they're looking for, how they want to be treated, those are fundamentally the same, right? Um, we actually went into this assuming part of the, the tenets that we got was we had a we had a large diversity goal, particularly around um, gender equality um, in the beginning of our, of our process. And there was a lot of um, ask for us to go out and get specific demographic data, which would say, how are we going to go out there and build an employer brand that would be appealing to technical females. And you know what we found out? Um, you know what? If you build a really great story that's authentic and true and real and you treat people well, then it's not about a different story for them. It's about understanding the impact of your engagement and how that will be different with them. We actually found out, particularly um, in the diversity space, particularly with technical females when we first started this process, that the big differentiator wasn't in um, what you did to attract them. But when you did it poorly, the detractor was a minus two, right? So, so for example, if um, we're going out there and we build a really bad job description, guess what? We write bad job descriptions just like everybody else, right? They're technical. They have too much jargon in them. Nobody can understand them. Um, and you throw them out onto a website, right? And you look for people to go and apply to them. Um, what we found out was is that for all populations, that's a negative, right? Nobody likes that. It frustrates everybody. It causes confusion for everybody. It was a minus two, meaning a double negative, particularly for technical females. And we found it in other populations as well, um, because they were they were already burned, right? They, they were already struggling and stressed. And um, this was just adding to the fuel, fuel to the fire of what they expected a company like us to do. So it was like we were, um, you know, I, I say to the people all the time in our organization, it doesn't matter all the time just what we do. It's what our entire um, industry does, right? Because we, we suffer the cumulative effect of the behaviors, not just of ourselves, but of everybody else. It, we found that we had a lot of, of challenges there. So in story is, is that at the end of the day, from a talent perspective and from a talent branding perspective, from an attraction perspective, 
the, the fundamentals of the story, the things people want to know about, their journey that they are going through and what they want to know and when they want to know about it, that fundamentally didn't change based on who you were as an individual. What did change was the impact of how well we did it would have on you. Lynn, somewhere you said people aren't widgets. You say that most people's decisions aren't based on metrics, but on emotion and experience. That's what we need to tap into. And so are you suggesting to our listeners that when you all uh, went out and experienced the minus two, uh, that when you started telling better stories, when you started being more attentive, attentive, when you started to elevate the experience and show them that they mattered as a a professional, as a candidate, man, woman, black, white, are you saying that when you all placed more presence in the process that you all started winning? Was it a plus two? Was it a plus 10? What experience or what growth did you all kind of capture when you turned around your process? So we, we found that we, we saw a huge exponential growth in our ability not just to attract people, um, but to keep them engaged with us. Um, we also found that when we act, when we started to switch some of this framework, thinking about our engagement with candidates as a relationship that was going to happen over time versus just these individual transactions that were disconnected from each other, that the recruiters and the sourcers who are working with these candidates um, actually built a much better ability to help connect people to the right opportunities. So inherently, that created a better a better conversion, a better transition, landing better quality candidates into the better quality opportunities for them, right? The matching immediately became better there because we were starting to look at people not just as a flat resume, but as the multidimensional uh, you know, people that we are, right? We have lots of experiences and we have lots of things that influence who we are, how we think, how we engage, and how we interact with each other. And as our recruiters and sources started to spend more time understanding that, it made them much better at being able to connect people better to the types of opportunities that may fit for them, help them find their micro opportunity across the organization. So we may have five software engineering jobs open in any particular location, but a recruiter now has the ability to have a better connection with somebody and to say, you know, these five are open, but this team is a probably a much better match for you given how we, you know, what's important to you. you. You seem to be somebody who likes flexibility. You like you're, you. You sound like somebody who may want to work from home more often. These two teams over here. They're working on a type of project and they're very focused and they're making everybody work um, on site every single day of the week. However, this team over here has a little bit more flexibility. Maybe this is the one we should start pointing you towards as an opportunity. This was great for candidates as well because candidates now weren't having to have the responsibility of figuring out where they fit. Instead, we were starting to take the responsibility of saying, tell us about you and let us help you figure out where you fit. So exponentially, we started to see increase and, and better performance across the board from a recruiting perspective. I love that. And I'm jumping in, Julie, because um, I really want to reinforce that and, and reinforcing it by taking this pause and 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 the stamp right here. What Alain just said is that they're not they're not delaying that consciousness for the hiring manager's decision, like mm-hmm. three, four steps deep in the process. It sounds like, you know, the sourcer might be step number one, but the sourcer may not have any contact with the, the the talent, the candidate, that the recruiter, someone who is engaging with them via email, via phone or social media, at some point, there's some vocal to that. And, and early in the process, that decision is there for them to say, maybe we need to do some shifting and, and doing some handoff versus going too far down in the process and then ruining the experience. I enjoy hearing that, Julie. I I love it. And I think 
you know, a couple of things that you've said, Alin, I think that really have stood out to me and I want to ask you about it is you just mentioned, right, the the female people or the female applicants who had to kind of go in and self-select and self-understand is exactly the words that you used, where they fit in Intel and what a, a negative mm-hmm. connotation that was for them. And you also said that fundamentally talent acquisition is human. And so many companies rely on that transactional activity as the way that they see candidates. It's like, you know, they they lose that view of candidates as humans. It's very like just get a butt in the seat, transactional kind of, of ways that I think recruiters a lot of times think about things because they're under a set of pressures that most people can't understand. And so with this approach, kind of bringing those three thoughts together, have you found how has it changed your recruiting team and their empathy and their engagement versus other teams that you've seen that are very transactional with their talent? Um, so I can talk about, um, you know, I haven't necessarily spent a huge amount of time looking at um, kind of how other teams are, are, are operating, but I can talk about, you know, we have different levels of maturity across our organization. We have a, we have a, a team of 450 talent acquisition professionals located across the world in both small and large kind of pods and teams operating together. And some of them are working at a more mature and advanced level when we talk about relationship-based recruiting um, than others are, right? And, and kind of working that base. And we can definitely see a distinction and a difference between both the experiences they have um, as in the, as talent acquisition professionals and the experience that the candidates are having. You know, for us, the first thing we had to do was we had to figure out how to move away from the idea of one recruiter had to be everything to all people all the time. That with that idea of full site life cycle recruiting just didn't work um, in a relationship-based format, right? You, you can't do it. You can't do it at scale. You can't expect a recruiter to own 50 requisitions all on an immediate timeline and build relationships with a pipeline of people that may not be ready um, for opportunities anytime soon. It doesn't work. So we had to split up those teams um, and start looking at it and saying, we have different roles and different specialties and how do we then help them work together to build that relationship? So recruitment marketers who are very focused on building the front end of the pipeline, figuring out the messaging, and we call it kind of one-to-many relationship building, kind of pulling people in to our to our story and into our pipeline. Um, sourcers who look across profiles. So for example, I may be an uh, artificial, engin- um, artificial intelligence sourcer, right? I know all about the types of jobs we have in the artificial intelligence space across multiple different business groups and in multiple different places. And I'm always looking to figure out both of the people we have in our pipeline, the people outside of our pipeline, how do I start building um, a better sense of who they are? Um, How do I get the right information about who they are? Do I talk to them? Do I have to connect with them in a different way? How do I start to build that relationship? And that first first line of vetting really happens there. And what that does is it frees up the recruiter. So when that actual job requisition comes in and the hiring manager says, I need to hire X person. The recruiter now goes to a sourcer and says, who's top on you? Who do you got out there? Instead of going out there and saying, let me just throw this out to the, to the wind to get 500 people to apply. Tell me who we've already started been working with. Who do we have out there? And now the recruiter can go in and start building a one-on-one relationship with those people and start saying, let's talk about whether this is the right fit for you. Let's have that dynamic conversation to figure out how to make this connection for you. And the biggest switch for our recruiting team has been switching from thinking about 
their job as somebody who is primarily responsible for mm-hmm. reading a resume and dispositioning people off of the rec list to somebody who is responsible for getting to know the top three to four people for that particular role and understand how to help them be successful connecting to Intel. And it's a completely different mindset that, w- that we've asked them to take on it. And it's really a different skill set for many, right? Which is about people and connection and relationship versus um, transaction process and compliance. You're building your bench before they even get inside. So, you know, most of the time we... That's exactly it. Yeah. As soon as you said that, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, now I get it. Okay. That's exactly it. That's the whole point of the Infinity Loop for us is to say the funnel is about these individual transactions, about getting a hundred people to apply and then weeding them out till you find the one, mm-hmm. right? It's very self-centered on our part, right? It's about, and what we're doing is telling all the rest of those 999 people, thank you, but no, thank you, go away. If you even tell them that, right? I mean- Which is stupid. How many times do you just get nothing? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So it's just, it's just so, like, it's the stupidest thing in the world. So instead, what we're looking at is saying, listen, we don't want you all applying to our job. Stop applying. Instead, join our network, build a connection with us, start to tell us who you are. Let us start to figure out how we can help you connect to the right opportunities um, and we'll We'll work with you um, to figure out how to match you in the right spaces. So it's not that we don't kind of still do open requisitions and still have people applying to jobs, um, but instead of us trying to push it out there and get 500 people to apply and it's just whoever applies and, you know, of that 500, the, you know, the top three move forward, we now actually look at our pipeline who we're building over time. Um, and maybe they're people we connected with last year, two years ago, or yesterday um, and helping them match to the right opportunities. And that required a different set of teams to do that. Yeah, I love that. Uh, uh, Alin, uh, for all of our listeners out there, I didn't do this in the beginning. We are uh, chatting with Alin Bailey from Intel. You can find her on Twitter at Alin, A-L-L-Y-N Bailey, B-A-I-L-E-Y, Alin Bailey. Um, so what I find uh, favorable in that is for all of you listening, um, what Alin just shared is that it was a shift, if you will, in responsibility. It was a shift and how roles were being carved out. And and it's not doing away with job requisitions, but it really is about creating pods. It's about creating cohorts, um, if you will, and giving people that are internal employ, uh, employees an opportunity to engage and build a cocoon, if you will, around this talent and really get them to, to feel the nectar, the honey of what it is that you have to offer as an organization. And if that's something that you have uh, you know, considered exploring, but you don't necessarily know where to start, reach out to Alain. You can certainly reach out to Julie or I. We have a plenty uh, amount of experience in doing so. That, that fundamentally, that switch of talent acquisition could start to make that switch. And again, like I said, I think it is an ecosystem. It's great if we do it as a company, but if we all start to do it, that's right. it becomes a better experience for everybody and we get an exponentially positive effect for all of us. It, it is not about, we don't win we don't win the game by being alone here. And yeah, and it's it's about us understanding people are going to, people are dynamic and change over time. And if you build relationship with them, the person who may not have been the best fit for you yesterday on their resume um, in three years may be great for something that you have coming, right? And if you've built the relationship starting now, it's going to be a lot easier for you guys to figure out how to connect together. Um, if you're both starting from scratch, it, it takes 10 times as long at the end of the day. It's about where do you can put your effort on the front or the back of the process. Absolutely. Many companies don't put their effort anywhere sometimes, right? They just feel like they can replenish the funnel anytime they want and treat people so disposably. And I think that 
that really is what stood out to me as very different in, in the Intel approach and how purposefully uh, it, it's been approached by you and, and Tyler and your teams. So when we post this, I'm going to post a couple of your videos where you really explain how you guys trashed the funnel and built your infinity loop pipeline, because I think everyone that listens to the show is going to have some interest in how that happened. And, and we could talk for hours about that. So I want them to have kind of a little bit of background since we can't get so deep into it. But tell us kind of to take us home. You've done four years of work, roughly three, four years of work, and now you're starting to reap some of those results. And, and you said before we started recording that you all still have a long way to go because it's a constant evolution. But what are your kind of big victories that you feel like you've already got from this transformation that you would say made it worthwhile? It's funny because um, this is where Tyler just is a really good counterpart to me because he's focused a lot on understanding the analytics and, and the value on the output from a business perspective. I, I'm going to put my human lens on it because that's, you know, I'm, a, I'm an anthropologist by nature. I, I'm focused on wh where the human relationship is. And I think the biggest wins for us um, have been our change in um, a, a change in the way that we communicate and talk um, to candidates um, that, you know, the fact that we're, we're actually have um, ongoing nurturing programs, they're not fabulous, right? We, we have a lot of work to do to make them more personalized and relevant and, and meaningful. Um, but we started a few years ago, and, and we've only built upon it over time, um, talking to people over time, having touch points, communicating with them, um, we've learned how to gather information. Um, so, you know, we know now have it, we sit on top of a database of 2.5 million people. But that 2.5 million people we built up over the last um, three years, three, three to four years, um, they're not just people that are dead leads that are sitting in our ATS system. They're sitting in our CRM and they're engaged leads. These are people who we have um, had connection with, that we communicate with, that we're starting to build a relationship with. And we're seeing the output of that and the ability to have um, better, um, our hiring managers are giving us better scores on the quality of slate that we're providing to them. Our candidates are telling us they're getting a better experience. Um, and so we're already seeing those those wins coming out for us. Lauren and I both love the human side. That was one of the reasons that we both really wanted to talk to you and have you talk about the Intel Infinity Loop. So we appreciate you, Alain. Uh, Alain Bailey, TA Transformation Manager with Intel. She's been with the organization for 17 years. She credits the success in her career to her willingness to take risks to be able to scan her environment constantly, being able to scan her environment and recognizing ways to improve the experience. And what she talked about today was how Intel and she and her team and others are improving the experience for candidates and for talent all around the world. Alain, we absolutely thank you for joining us on Crazy and the King. For all of the listeners, you can find Alain on Twitter at Alain Bailey, A-L-L-Y-N, B-A-I-L-E-Y. Miss Alain Bailey, Julie, an awesome uh, addition to our Crazy and the King guest spots. I appreciate you for grabbing Alain. Yes, absolutely. So until next time. We are ghost. See ya. Thanks for listening to Crazy and the King. I'm Julie Sowash with my co-host, Torin Ellis. Follow us on social media, but you can also now find Crazy and the King on Facebook, 
at our website, crazyintheking.com, or follow our hashtag like you have been. This episode was produced by me, Julie Sowash. Our music is by the amazing DJ Cell straight out of Baltimore. And if you like our podcast, please rate it and share it with a friend. See ya. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.